culture. 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 Equality, equity, and justice. Mm -hmm. Religion as culture. It's hard to define. Belonging. I would get passed over. Conflict. Conversation. There are conflicts that happen. It's life. Celebrate differences. Compromise. Cooperation. Culture. Mm -hmm. Culture and belonging. Welcome to the Culture and Belonging podcast from Troy University and the Office of Institutional Research, Planning, and Effectiveness. I'm Rich Liday. And I'm Wendy Broyles. We've all seen the destructive effects of Russia's war in Ukraine, but what toll does war take on a nation's culture? And what can be done to preserve history and customs in the midst of war? Today we're talking to Olga Casey, librarian at Troy University's Dozen Campus. Olga moved from Ukraine to the U.S. in 2000 with a full scholarship to study librarian information science at Louisiana State University. Olga, thank you so much for joining us on Culture and Belonging. Well, Olga, you were born in Ukraine. And last fall, when I first met you, you showed me a very compelling art exhibit that you set up upstairs in the library. Could you maybe tell the audience a little bit about what that exhibit was and why it's significant? This is an exhibit about for the war, or full-scale war in Ukraine. This is about the situation in Ukraine. This is about our sister library. So right now we have not only one sister library, but several of them. One of them is a so-called uh, Ukrainian Police Academy. Actually, this is a university of internal affairs that was evacuated actually twice. First time when Russia invaded Donetsk in 2014, this university was evacuated to Mariupol. And in February 2022, when their premises were destroyed, demolished absolutely second time. They were evacuated urgently uh, to the middle of Ukraine, to Kropivnitsky, where we actually found them and started to help them a little bit. We're sending them books. We're sending, sending them textbooks, monographs. We're helping the library because, you know, when everything happens so fast, so quickly, uh, the library suffers. The library fund suffers a lot. They uh, were very grateful to us, and they said, we will write you a good, nice, eloquent letter, thank you letter. And I said, you you know, it's better to take just pictures of uh, these materials that we sent you in your premises. It will tell us more than any eloquent thank you letters. Yeah. And our contact person, Anna, this is interesting what she answers to me, and you will see what the situation is. And just keep in mind that she was writing from a relatively safest place from over there. Uh, She writes me, I should have written to you yesterday, but I didn't want to without a photo that you asked. Yesterday, I had a working day until 1 p.m. And at 1 p.m., five of us gathered to go to the library to take pictures with the books. However, an air raid alarm sounded, and everyone was told to go to the shelter because it was announced that a missile was flying directly at our city. I decided to take shelter closer to my house and got on the minibus. And after the alarm went off, they were already photographed for the site without me. So 
When the siren started, she decided to hide closer to her apartment, which is on the other side of the city. And the rest of the International Relations Department staff, they were taking photos for the website, like nobody's business, you know. This is their normal life right now, and this is one of the safest places. Well, this is this type of full-scale warfare that Russia has decided to wage on Ukraine, though it's... The battle lines are now in cities, you know, the battle lines are in farms, the battle lines are wherever the Russian government decides to make them. You know, this is not trench warfare, there are trenches, but this is not just tank warfare. There are tanks, you know, but this is an all-out war being waged on Ukrainian people, Um, but life still goes on, Mm -hmm. you know, and... It's not that those air raid sirens are making people complacent, but they are now just now part of life. And this, I'm wondering if the security posture is like, is that affecting Ukrainian culture now? Of course it is. It's got to be, you know, but life goes on. I mean, the library isn't just a place for books. It's a place where culture is is collected and, and recorded and the people you know the people who work in your position at our sister libraries you said they they have they still have a job to do and again it's not just about putting books on shelves i mean there's someone who has to keep records this war is definitely affecting day-to-day life but i think it's going to have some lasting impression uh, on the people of ukraine and by extension on ukrainian culture what I wanted to tell that it is absolutely surprising to me that this situation since the beginning of war, a huge burst of creativity is going on in Ukraine. Songs, movies, painting, just memes that are uh, appearing every day, many, many of them, you know. Uh, it's just amazing, absolutely amazing. And recently I joined an initiative, Saving Ukrainian Cultural Heritage Online. Suho Initiative. It's about uh, 1,500 volunteers uh, who are collaborating online to digitize and preserve Ukrainian cultural heritage. Since the start of the invasion, Suho has uh, web archived more than 5,000 websites and 50 terabytes of uh, data. Uh, of Ukrainian cultural institutions uh, to prevent these websites from going offline. And the websites range from national national archives to local museums, from 3D tours of churches to children's art centers. And cultural sites have been targeted also by by the Russian army and by Russian troops. And it's indiscriminate shelling of cities is going to lead to that kind of that kind of destruction mm-hmm. but what i you know what i find to be a demonstration of the resilience of people is there's there's you're talking about this burst of creativity mm-hmm. sometimes war has that effect you know yes. but it also speaks to i think the power of culture to not just bring people together but keep them together mm-hmm. in this particular case Ukrainian people aren't just fighting for their own survival as individuals and the survival of their families. It's their country, 
their yeah, their the nation, heritage. their heritage yeah. is is at stake here. So we see culture having that power. Before we scheduled this interview, you and I talked a little bit about another translation project. You're working with a team in Ukraine. Yes. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, thank you about asking about this. <laughs> because I'm working on it already like for well, about five years. Wow. With two of my Ukrainian colleagues, uh, we are translating a book from English to Ukrainian that is called uh, Infinity Beckoned, Adventuring Through the Inner Solar System, 1969 through 1989. The point is that at these years in Crimea was located a huge but hidden top secret space center and a track center for Moon, Mars, Venus, and helicomet uh, missions. You know, even an artificial moon surface lunodrome was built in Crimea so that the drivers who operated the moon rover could practice to control, control it. And they actually were riding the moon rovers from that place, from Crimea, uh, from the same control center. They were not only practicing there, this was a space control center. But during Soviet time, there was no information about all this because all this was top, top secret. Mm-hmm. And after uh, USSR collapsed, the space programs and these premises were completely abandoned and neglected, and nobody was interested to know anything about these places and stories. Nobody wanted to explore, to research. So it's a huge gap in history that was never explored. Like, can you imagine then, for instance, that if uh, it were here in the wire grass, an abandoned space center comparable with one um, in Houston, Texas, and nobody would care about it. Nobody would have been collecting, preserving the facts and artifacts. No, no interviews with still alive witnesses, no attempt to write a book about it. And it's amazing that an American author did it, not the local one, not the Russian, not the Ukrainian. So we are translating this uh, book, and uh, it was ready by February uh, 2022, and then we started to communicate with uh, publishing houses in Ukraine, and the war started. So the uh, manuscript is ready, but we are waiting for the end of the war. And we contacted the author. He knows that the book is translated. We're just polishing a little bit the text. And after the war, we all meet in Crimea. Wow. So this book is currently only in English. English. Mm -hmm. But now the people of Ukraine are going to be able to read some of their history in their own language. Mm -hmm. History that's been hidden or missing. Space history. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. Good history. Gives me a little bit of chill bumps. (laughs) Well, it makes sense that, you know, these are are also military secrets, these sites, you know. So it makes sense that it would be hidden. Yeah. But this, to me, seems like some, like a significant story, but it's it's technological advancements, you know. This is Cold War, the United States and Soviet Union trying to, get to space first, trying to land on the moon first. But so much technology that we have today mm-hmm. was born out of that competition. Oh, yeah. You know, and that just wasn't a competition for technology. That was also 
It was a cultural competition. That right. was that Absolutely. was a political, political competition. competition, an economic mm-hmm. space competition. race. That's right. Yes. But that that was that cold. Those Cold War efforts yeah. is what drove drove a lot of these a lot of these advancements for for both for both the you know the Soviet Union and the United States. Yeah. But the Soviet Union's collapse. These pieces of the Soviet Union get scattered, but these pieces of history get scattered too. You know, this is the type of work that um, I believe it has the potential to give people back some of their agency. Yeah. And we've we've had that conversation um, on a, on a previous show, I believe. Um, one of our guests who works with indigenous persons here in North America. But I think what's most interesting to me about this piece of work is because this is a chunk of. Ukrainian history that Ukrainians were not even aware of. Yeah, absolutely. So that's, you know, that to me is really, really, really powerful. You know, Um, you're not just translating something into the language so they can understand. You're helping reveal a portion of their history that has been hidden. Has been hidden. Yeah. So we've defined culture and we've talked about how much culture can encompass. Yes. So the other half of the name of the show, yeah, belonging. So how would you define belonging? Belonging, this is a very comfortable feeling. This is a feeling that your skills, your knowledge, your competency is needed in this particular place. Mm -hmm. Just feeling that uh, you are needed now or you have a potential to be needed here. So even though you don't make your immediate contribution, your immediate input, you're needed here. Mm -hmm. This is what I feel belonging is. I like that definition. Not just I'm needed here, but I'm I'm going to be needed here. You know, potential. Mm -hmm. Like Yeah. yeah, people have potential. You know, and I think it's it's up to us as educators to you know to to see that you know to pay attention to those red flags when the students are. Their eyes are, you know, glossing over because they don't understand something. And our job is to try to bring them back in to the classroom with an understanding that, you know, it's especially at the age most of our students are. Like, there's a lot going on when you're 18, 19, 20, 21 years old. Or even older. Yeah, or even older. Yeah, we have a lot of non-traditional students here at Troy University. And, but it's up to us as educators to f- help them see their potential but it's also not our fault. Like some sometimes things are happening that we don't we don't know, we can't know, we don't understand. Everybody's fighting some kind of battle that's hidden that they're not telling us. Absolutely. And so I don't think that you specifically, but any anyone in front of a classroom should feel like it, the burden rests entirely on you to help the students see that they're needed or they have the potential you can do your part we can each do our part but there has to be something that that the student has to have that light bulb moment right they have to realize that they have that potential that they have to connect with the material and it, it, some of the burden lies on them as the student you know, in the library, there, this is very important for us to be very approachable. This is what we have in reference um, 
on the first place. Well, please, please interrupt, interrupt me. <laughs> yes, no matter how busy we look, you know, our um, main goal is to help our students. And I remember myself when I just started my study at LSU, our program, they thought we were so smart that they even uh, didn't allow us to have any orientation. We just landed and the next day we were uh, sitting in classes. And I was in the library school, but I didn't know how to use the library. No, I I knew how to use the library, but uh, spending three hours in the library, after that I came to the circulation desk and I asked uh, how much should I pay. I've been here for three hours. I was not worried uh, because my uh, program would reimburse me, you know, but I was absolutely sure that I owe owe something, you know. Or another case when our professor said, oh, and you will find this article in reserve. I was walking through the campus and trying to find the building with the uh, title reserve. Having having been on that campus, I don't think you're going to find that building. (laughs) And and I'll also say that... uh, I'm from Louisiana, and I needed that orientation. So I don't see how they expected you to not get that orientation. I always tell this to the students in the library classes. That's why I tell them there is not such thing as uh, not very smart question or not an appropriate question, you know, because I remember myself. Yeah. Uh, It was just amazing how much I didn't know. We're talking about culture and belonging, and we've, we're asking you to define culture. But part of my interest in this topic is culture causes conflict. Uh, it's certainly capable of bringing people in, to conflict, but um, there are, there's always room for cooperation. Sure. So what are some, some things that maybe our audience members can think about when they're trying to avoid the conflict and maybe looking for ways to compromise or cooperate? I think lots of conflicts in this area are coming from our, you know, stereotypes, our prejudice, some cliche preconceptions. We think that this or this group of people, they have these kind of habits, this kind of mentality. But when you see the real people, when you communicate with real people, when you get more and more knowing them, it broadens your understanding of them. It broadens your horizons, sometimes not very fast, not immediately, but piece by piece. Yes, so we all have these little misconceptions, stereotypes, It's, it's life. So... Many conflicts may uh, come from this. And also conflicts, there is not always bad thing. If absolutely no conflicts happens, uh, it feels like stagnation. Development, evolution goes through conflicts if the conflicts are resolved. That's a good point. So a little bit of conflict is inevitable, but from that conflict there can be growth. I mean, if you share a kitchen with someone, you're going to disagree about something. (laughs) So you are a librarian, but there's a lot more to you than just your day job, right? There's a lot more that that you're doing, more work that you're doing. This translation project, this volunteer work you're doing to preserve the Ukrainian cultural artifacts that that are being done online. There's so much more. We say that you can't judge a book by its cover, 
And so is there any relational intercultural aspect that matters to you? This is your, this is your teaching moment, right? What does the audience need to know if they've listened to the show today and they've got nothing else to take from it? What could you give them to take from it? Very often in difficult situations, just don't forget your sense of humor. Don't forget this <laughs> opportunity to look at the situation from a different point. You know, sense of humor, this is something that makes us unique and also can unite us. Mm-hmm. The, best, the best thing. So creativity and sense of humor, don't forget about these things. Mm-hmm. We've been talking about conflicts of different types. We've been talking about the war. There was a line in one of my favorite movies, people don't be so serious because all the most ugly and stupid things in this world were made with this face, gloomy, serious face. (laughs) (laughs) Get to know a librarian. Yes. Get to know a librarian. Yes. People. Our guest for this episode of Culture and Belonging has been Olga Casey librarian at Troy University's Dothan campus. We hope that you'll subscribe to the Culture Belonging podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And get involved by tweeting us at belongingpod. Give us your ideas on what cultural topics we should cover next. Your idea just might end up on the show. Culture and Belonging is produced by Troy University in the studios of Troy Public Radio by Austin Toy and Joey Hudson with help from Kyle Gassett. So until next time, I'm Wendy Broyles. And I'm Rich Lede. This is Culture and Belonging. Mm-hmm.